morning we have Kids for Missions, and so the kids can head to the youth center for Kids for Missions once a month. We gather our children together to, to lead them and help them to see the ways that God is at work, alive and at work throughout our nations. And so they're going to celebrate and learn about that today in Kids for Missions. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 11, if you want to turn there. It's page 897, if you're using a pew Bible this morning. If you remember, this past summer, uh, I had a a number of of times that Pastor Ron was going to be gone and, and that I was going to share with you, and so I... I saw those those four times and thought that I would kind of start a little series out of the book of John on the sayings of Jesus, the I am sayings of Jesus, thinking that four weeks would be more than enough time for us to dive in and take care of those uh, I am sayings, those seven times that Jesus says I am in the book of John. And we got through exactly four of those uh, through the summer in those four weeks. And so today, uh, I'm going to jump right back into that series. This is number five in that series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I started the week thinking that there's three left. I could jump in and maybe we could just knock out all three of them and, and finish that series and we could move on to something else next time I spoke. And, and, uh, and as I started to prepare, there just was no, no way for me to do that. And so um, we're going to take number five and we'll deal with number six and number seven at a later time. If you remember, I'm not going to go through everything that we talked about. You'll have to go online and maybe find those those messages if you missed some of them and want to put them all together. But I will say this. At the very end, I said this each time we talked about it, at the very end of John, in chapter 20 of John, the end of the book, John writes this. He says, Now Jesus did lots of other things in the presence of his disciples which are not written in the book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. John is very specific in the stories that he shares. In fact, John has different different stories in the book of John than we find. Some of them are the same, but there's different stories in the book of John that are not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John was very intentional, very specific about the stories that he shared and the ways that he shared them, the words that he chose to use, because he wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that when we believe on him, when we believe on Christ, we may have life in his name. There's seven different times that Jesus uses the phrase, I am and then add something on to it. The, the phrase I am, meaning, meaning God, the name used for God in the Old Testament. That's the same word that Jesus is using when he says I am and then adds on to it. Jesus is proclaiming that he is the Son of God, that he is an equal with God. He says it seven times. He says in, in chapter six, he says I am the bread of life. In chapter eight, he says I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. And then we come to this one, this statement here in chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. In order for us to to look at that statement, I am the resurrection and the life, we have to begin to understand the, the context around what's happening as Jesus shares that. 
This is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. You've, you've probably read this story in John chapter 11. You've, you've heard it. You know the picture. And so a lot of what I'm going to share with you this morning is probably not new to you. But hopefully it will, it will encourage your soul this morning. We start in, in John chapter 11. At the very beginning, we, we find uh, Lazarus, a friend of Jesus's, who lives in Bethany, is sick. Gravely sick. Sick almost to the point of death. And in that moment, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, they know that probably the only answer for their brother Lazarus is to get Jesus to come and to, and to help, for Jesus to come and to heal Lazarus. And they think that he might be persuaded to do that because they have this relationship, this already established relationship with Jesus. And so they send a messenger to Jesus. They send a messenger off to tell Jesus that Lazarus, the one that he loves, is sick. Hoping that, in fact, Jesus might come and might heal Lazarus. Well, we read there in chapter 11 that, that Lazarus was sick. Um, Sister Mary and Martha uh, sent to the Lord saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. And then it says in verse 4, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. And then we read these in verses 5 and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them so much... That when he got word that Lazarus was sick, when he got word that Lazarus was gravely ill, he loved them so much that, in verse 6, so he stayed two days longer. That's exactly the response that Mary and Martha were hoping for when they sent the messenger. No, they hoped That Jesus would hear Lazarus is sick and he would turn immediately and he would run to them in Bethany and he would get there as quickly as he could and that he would heal Lazarus. That was the intention. That was the plan of Mary and Martha. That was their hope. But Jesus doesn't have the same plan that Mary and Martha has. Jesus has an entirely different plan. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So, because he loved them, therefore, because of his love for them, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why would Jesus do that? Why does Jesus stay two days longer because of his love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? I think there's several things that we see in this passage. Three things that give us an idea of, of why Jesus would stay two extra days when he gets that word. When Mary Martha's plan is for him to come right away and to, and to heal Lazarus. Why does Jesus stay two extra days? Three things. Jesus said, I read it earlier in chapter, in verse four. Jesus says right away, when he heard this, when he hears that the one whom you love is ill, when Jesus heard this, he says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. This illness, which ultimately is the death of Lazarus, this illness, this death, is for the glory of God. 
really for the glory of Christ, so that the Son might be glorified. Jesus spells it out right away to the disciples. I'm not going to go. I'm gonna, we're going to stay here two more days. And here's why. Because by me staying, by me being here for two extra days, I will be more glorified than if I were to turn right now and sprint all the way to Bethany and, and heal Lazarus in his state. God will be more glorified. He will be seen as greater, as grander. It's for the glory of God. And then we read, he loves Martha, Mary, Lazarus. It doesn't seem like the loving response. It doesn't seem like, like if if Martha were to hear, if the report were to come back, you know, I, I told him, he knows. And his response was that, God will be glorified and the Son will be glorified. Martha, Martha would not hear that as love if that would be the reply that she would get back. Jesus decided to stay two more days. That's not the loving response. Because our plans, our hopes, just like Martha and Mary, so many times our plans and our hopes have one narrow focus. We only can see one end that might be good. Only one end that might be the way out. Only one end that might be the the thing that we're looking for. And so if anything else happens outside of that plan, we see it as unloving. Our emotions begin to, to get the better of us and our emotions lead our heart and lead our head. Our emotions lead us and we think that cannot be loving. And yet, right here, John chapter 11, Jesus loved them so... He stayed. Therefore, he stayed two extra days. Sometimes, many times, oftentimes, the truth, the goodness of what we're hoping for at the end of our plan is not, is not the result of what we, it's not the end of what we saw our plan to be. It's not where our feelings have led us to. Instead, we have to let truth, and this is the truth that Jesus was going to be glorified. We have to let that truth shape our feelings. Our feelings are fallible. His truth is not. Jesus stays two extra days for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. He also says, as you read down in chapter 11 there, um, he also says that uh, in verse 11, after saying these things to the disciples, he, t- he talks to them and they say, we can't, we can't go back to Bethany, it's, it's too dangerous for us. He says, it'll be fine if we walk in the light, we'll be fine in the light. Then he says in verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now he knows, in fact, he just, he'll say it in, in two verses later, he says, he knows that Lazarus has died, And yet here he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. One of the reasons I think Jesus stayed was for the disciples and for Mary and Martha and and, and ultimately Lazarus to begin to have a different perspective of death. A different perspective on death. During this time, the the Jewish people especially uh, would have been super afraid, scared of death. It was a frightful thing. 
They, they, did, they did everything they could um, to, av- to avoid it and, in fact, were, were afraid of it. And Jesus, I think, is taking this opportunity to say, death is not something to be feared in the way that you fear it. But instead, death is like sleep. Death is like sleep. Just as sleep is a temporary thing, death, for those who believe, is a temporary thing. We don't need to fear it. I I, I have power over death, Jesus is trying to say to his disciples. It's just a gateway. Death is just a momentary thing before the glory of God is seen. And received. I think he's saying to the disciples that it is no harder for me, Jesus is saying, it's no harder for me to raise Lazarus from the dead than it is for you to raise your teenager out of bed in the morning. Or maybe it's easier for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead than it is to raise your teenager out of bed in the morning. He wanted to change their perspective on death. He wanted them to see that he was over all things, including the thing that they could not comprehend someone could be over. He says, this illness, this death, ultimately, is for my glory. He wants to change their perspective on it. And I think thirdly, in fact, when he says it there in verse 14, he says to them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you might believe. I think the last thing that he wants them to see is that Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And not just kind of dead. Not just mostly dead. Lazarus is dead, dead. If Jesus would have turned when he heard that report that the one that you love is ill, if he would have turned and he would have run there and he would have got there just moments after Lazarus was dead and he would have raised him up, people might have said, well, Lazarus wasn't really dead. He probably, you know, maybe he was just so, just just kind of in a coma, asleep enough that we thought he was dead, but he wasn't really dead. I think Jesus waits two more days so that everyone can know That Lazarus is dead, dead. Four days in the tomb, dead. Martha will say, when when he wants to roll the stone away, she's going to say, Jesus, he's going to stink by now. That's how dead he is. Lazarus is dead, dead. And I think he wants the disciples to see that. I think he wants Mary and Martha to see that. I think he wants you and I to see that because that is our exact dilemma as well. Until we understand Jesus as the resurrection and the life, our souls are dead, dead. Not kind of dead. Not if we just try a little bit harder, we'll be able to resurrect them on our own, dead. Our hearts are stone and there is nothing, there is no way, there is no spark of life inside our hearts unless we see Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Our dilemma is that we are dead. And I think Jesus waited two extra days so that when he got there, there was no question. 
Lazarus was dead, dead. And so, Jesus loves Mary and Martha, loves Lazarus. He stays two extra days, then he travels on, and when he finally gets there, we continue on in John chapter 11. Now Jesus finally comes. Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. And when the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother, Martha hears that Jesus is coming. She went out and she met him. Mary stayed in the house. And Martha says in verse 21, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha responds as soon as Jesus shows up. Martha responds in, in, in her grief. She responds to Jesus with a, what I'm calling a, a confidence facade. She has confidence in Jesus, but not really. In fact, she starts right off by saying, Jesus, if you had been here, if you would have come right away when we sent that message, when, when Lazarus was gravely ill, if you would have come, I believe you could have done something to save him. You could have rescued. If you had been here, you could have done it. I believe it. But I don't really believe it. Because she doesn't believe that there could be a resurrection. She doesn't believe that Jesus could have just called out from where he was and said, I know I'm not there. I know I'm not in Bethany right beside Lazarus who's, who's sick in, 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 in bed and couldn't heal him from a distance. He had to be there. That's what Martha's saying. Jesus, if you had been here, if you would have gotten here, if you would have been beside us, you could have. I believe you could have done it. Martha responds with a confidence facade, much like we oftentimes do. We think we believe, we pretend to believe, we, we, we get caught up in the logistics of it, though. What about, how can that happen? What, what if, and our belief what we think is belief in how God might work gets questioned and we begin to doubt and we say, we pretend we have this confidence, but really it's just a front. Martha does two things as she responds to Jesus. The first is that she, she limits him. She limits Jesus. She says, you know, if, if, if you would have been here, then you could have done it. Or, or if you would have been here, instead of where you were, you couldn't, you couldn't do it there, but you could have done it if you were here. And then she even, she even goes on to say, um, just further showing her, her confidence facade, she goes on to say, even now, whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you, except she doesn't really believe that if he asks for a resurrection, if, she, if he asks for Jesus or for Lazarus to be raised from that, she doesn't really believe that because even after he tells her, in just a few verses, we'll get to that, but when he tells her, I'm the resurrection and the life, when he says, your brother will live again, every time he says something like that, she, she, she can't fathom it. She can't process it. All the way up to the moment when he says, roll the stone away, and she says, he's going to stink. She doesn't believe. She doesn't believe. 
Jesus responds to her in verse 25 with his I am statement. Or, sorry, in verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again to Martha. He says, here, here it is. Your brother, Lazarus, he will rise again. And Martha, in her confidence facade, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know that he will rise again somewhere, way off in the future, ultimately in the end. I believe that everything is going to come together, that God is going to win in the end. I believe that that is the ultimate answer, Jesus, but I want him right now. That's what I was hoping you would do when I sent you that note. That's what I was hoping you would do when that messenger came and said that the one that you, that you love was ill. That's what I was hoping for. I know it on the last day. That's something that we do with the promises that we find in Scripture, isn't it? We, we pile them up. We compile them all together. We put them together. We read them. We have hope in them, but we, but we put them off thinking someday in the future they will apply for us. But they don't matter right now. They don't apply for us right now in this moment. Especially when we're in this moment of grief like Martha is. We put them off. We, we pretend, one commentator said, we pretend that they're like antiques in the attic. We know that they have some value. We suppose that there's something valuable about them, but they don't have any practical purpose to us. Someday in the future... Hopefully, we'll pass them on to our children and they'll pass them on to their children and we'll always have this valuable thing. But it really doesn't matter to us. It doesn't have a practical purpose for us. Too often, that's what we do with the promises of God. We put them off into the future saying, I do believe, ultimately, God's going to win. Ultimately, it will all come just as he said But right now, it doesn't really have a practical purpose for me in this moment, especially in this trouble, in this trying time. Charles Spurgeon one time said that Christians need grace to turn God's bullion into current coin. That Christians need grace to turn God's bullion, the grand treasure that he has, into current coin that we can use right now. It's true. We do. Too often we push it off to the end. Even later, as I've said, she doubts it even toward the end. He says, roll the tomb away, roll the the stone away. And she says, Lord, there's going to be a stink. There's going to be an odor. And Jesus replies to her, if if you look at that passage, In verse 40, Jesus says to her, Did I not tell you, Martha, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believed, you would then see. That's not our philosophy, though, is it? We don't believe and then see. Our philosophy is, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? I'll believe it when I see it. 
Why is that our philosophy? Because over and over, we have been let down by men who are untrustworthy. Over and over, we've been let down by people, and so we've finally taken the stance where, until I see it, until I see you do it, until I see it happen, I will not believe. And Jesus is saying... I'm not like everyone else. I'm not like all the other men. I'm not like the ones who have let you down in the past. You don't have to wait to see it to believe it. If you believe it, you will see it. I'm not like everyone else. I'm not like everyone else. I am the resurrection. I am life. He says to Martha, you don't have to look anywhere else. Just look at me. In fact, I picture him saying that when, when he says, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know that he's going to rise again sometime on the resurrection in the last day. I, 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 I picture Jesus saying, no, Martha, look at me. Look me in the eye. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Pay attention, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Then he says this. Do you believe this? Do you believe? We saw Martha doesn't believe. She Right away says there's going to be an odor when you move. She doesn't believe. And so he says, if you believe it, you will see it. Don't put it off to the future. Don't try to limit my promises. Don't put them out in the future. But no, grab a hold of them right now. Believe right now. I am the resurrection and the life. Moses, or Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who's coming into the world. And then if you skip down, you see some of Jesus' emotion and some of the people and how they respond. But then in verse 38, we come really to the climax of this story. Jesus has moved. He comes to the tomb. There's a cave and there was a stone laid against it. In verse 39, he says, take away the stone. Martha says, it's going to stink. Lord, he's been dead for four days. Jesus says to her, did I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. And then in verse 43, when he says these things, he cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped in a cloth, and Jesus says, unbind him, let them go. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And he says to the inside of that cave, to the man who is four days dead, 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 stinking dead, totally dead dead, lifeless, dead. He says, Lazarus, come out. Come out. 
Leave the grave behind. Come out of the grave. Leave death behind. Get unwrapped from all of those grave clothes that you have and move on. Get moving. Come out. Leave death behind. And when he says that, four days dead, stinking dead, dead, dead. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus' eyes pop open. And a heart that hasn't beat in four days begins to pump. And lungs that have been emptied for four days that have no air in them, they begin to breathe. And his arms, which have had no motion, his legs, which are all wrapped together, they begin to move and his fingers begin to twitch. And Lazarus comes alive. A dead man, a four-day, stinking, dead, dead man, comes alive. I think the call for us is the same as for Lazarus. I think he says to us, come out. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this, he says to us? Do you believe this? Come out. Leave death behind. I am resurrection. I am the life. Those who believe in me will never die. Come out. Leave the grave behind. Leave those those grave clothes, the things that wrap you up and, and that are only good for death, leave those things behind. Get unwrapped. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, Paul tells us in Ephesians, but God was rich in mercy and he has made you alive with Christ. Come out. Come out. And Lazarus does. A dead man comes alive. It seems like the next thing you read in chapter 11 should be there was a grand and glorious celebration. There was this great, huge party. Jesus took Lazarus. He unwrapped him with his clothes. He took him back to the house. And there, Jesus turned all of the funeral casseroles into prime rib, and they had a party. That's what should be the next thing, right? A dead man, a four-day dead man, stinking dead man. He's alive. Let's celebrate. But that's not the response. If you look in chapter 11, that's not the next thing that happens. Instead, the next thing that happens is that there's a plot to kill Jesus because we do not innately turn to celebrate the life that comes from Jesus. Instead, we're threatened by it. We're scared of it. We don't understand it, and so we push it away. And the teachers of the law, they come together and they say, we have got to get rid of this man. We cannot We cannot handle the resurrection and the life. And in fact, in chapter 12, they go on to have a plot to kill Lazarus too because he's evidence of what Jesus has done and they can't handle that. So they turn it away. They try to get rid of him. They make a plan to get rid of Jesus. But, at the beginning of chapter 12, if you've looked ahead, you already see it says in chapter 12, six days before Passover, Jesus then came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. The Lazarus, it says, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
So they gave a dinner for him there. This is where they have the prime rib. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those that was reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, he, he, he can't handle that. He says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He says it not because he's really worried about it, but because he wants to steal from it when it's in the bag. Jesus says, leave her alone so that he may keep it for the day, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. The celebration happens. And when it happens, they're eating together, and Mary comes and she has this box of perfume, the, the, the burial ointment, the, the, the perfume that she has there, the fragrance she has there. It's worth a whole year's salary, 300 denarii. It's hugely important. It probably was, it probably was the ointment that was for their entire family to use for, for generations as they, as they put it on the, on the dead bodies as they buried them in the tombs. She takes the whole thing and she busts it open and she pours it out on Jesus' feet. Judas can't handle it. The disciples, I'm sure, have gigantic eyes as they see it happen. But Mary, she saw Jesus. He was the resurrection and the life. And her response to that was extravagant love, unbelievable praise. Jesus was worth it. A whole year's salary, that's nothing compared to Jesus, she's saying. And the other thing I think she's saying, in fact, it, it says it here. He says, Lazarus was there. Jesus was, had raised him from the dead, so they had dinner for him. Martha served it. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Then it says in verse 3, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Lazarus was there at the table next to Jesus. Mary, therefore, because Lazarus was there at the table, because Lazarus had been raised from the dead, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life and death has no power over those who believe in Jesus, therefore, Mary doesn't need the burial ointment anymore. We don't have to make our dead bodies smell nice so that they might be accepted in the future. We don't need it anymore. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so, I'm going to bust open the whole box and pour it out on Jesus because he is worthy of all of it. When we see Jesus as the resurrection and the life, when we see Jesus as the resurrection and the life, we turn to thanksgiving. We turn to praise. We turn to extravagant love. It's the only thing that our fresh beating hearts and our fresh beating lungs, our eyes that pop open once they're dead, dead. It's the only thing that we can do. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has power over death. And he gives us that same power. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And so we turn that life to praise. Stand with me this morning. We're going to sing. 
We're going to pray as we're going to worship. life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you
praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. God, our hearts are turned to praise. Our hearts are turned to thanksgiving when we see and know that you are the resurrection and the life, not just for the future, not just somewhere out there, but God, you right now, today, in this very moment, are our only hope. You are the resurrection and the life. And so we look to you. We praise you. We believe in you, knowing that one day, we will see that eternal life brought for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.